So I've had my share of concussions also playing the center position. Every play is a sub-concussive hit. They're right. jabs. Your neck's snapping back. It's a jab you're right. taking. And I counted over my career practice, games, all of it, about 30,000 head hits. Welcome to Ballers with Babies. I'm Mark Willard. Today, we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick. What's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark? Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after-hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high-profile job, and how that high-profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realize. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. All right, let's get Nick Hardwick in here for Ballers with Babies. You know him, of course, for football years with the Chargers. I know him as a uh, green smoothie drinking fool. <laughs> How, how big of a role has food uh, come to play in your life? Probably bigger than I ever intended. Right. Yeah. As I was losing weight from my playing days to return into civilian life, something happened in the middle of the season as I'm kind of laying in bed and I hear Tony Kornheiser commenting after my retirement and it was on part of the interruption and he's talking about, and I didn't really have an Instagram page at the time, but he was talking about, here's another example of an overinflated Purdue chicken, <laughs> clear example, using steroids during the NFL. And I was watching it and I'm sitting in bed with my <sighs> wife going, what in the heck is going on here? And I was like, this, I am so mad right now. I was like, I wanted to get right on Twitter and start blasting back and be like, you've got no idea what I went through to get that big. And you right. have no idea what I went through to get small. And my wife looked at me like wives do with more wisdom and patience and <laughs> usually a little bit better tact. And she said, let's take a positive approach to this and let's just show people how health has become such a big part of your life and how they could do it too by using food as a weapon. That's crazy. I didn't know that story. I mean, that was like, like he straight up just accused or insinuated or what? Yes, both. All. Is he called me an overstuffed Purdue chicken. I went to Purdue. Purdue, right. the chicken is spelled P-E-R-D-U-E, <laughs> but I think he was doing the double entendre there. And more or less said it's just another example that NFL athletes are juice heads. See, I always – offensive linemen, you you always get smaller, and the running backs get bigger. You either and get smaller – everybody regresses to the mean. That's it. You either get smaller or you get bigger. And my offensive line coach told me that while wow. I was playing, and there's – there is no in-between. You don't stay what you were playing at. You don't stay that way. Your work output's different. Your consumption, your consumption habits are different. So I was like, I'm not going up to 330. I'm going down to 230 because when I walked onto the football team at Purdue, I was 229 pounds and I had a six pack and I knew what it felt like and I wanted it back. Unbelievable. All right, let's uh, let's get let's hear about the uh, this uh, hard work household that obviously, as you just mentioned, your wife runs. Um, yes, she does. Two boys, right? Names and ages. Two boys. Hudson six. Teddy's four. Okay. Hudson is six. Teddy is four. Totally different beast. You just tweeted the other day something about Teddy. Let me read this. Teddy is difficult. He is stubborn. He is rough. He is aggressive. He doesn't listen. 
He is a lot like me, and we butt heads often, but every once in a while, he'll crawl up and snuggle with me, and for a moment, all is right in the world. I Like that tweet, I'm like, well, there's, that's parenting. That That's parenting in a nutshell. It is, although completely different beast between my oldest and youngest. Okay. My oldest, he's thoughtful. He's pretty patient. He's independent. My youngest is demanding. And he will push you to the brink. He has tested my patience far more so than my older one does. That, it, it, my older one's very coachable. Right. He's receptive to messaging. And you will say something to him that you thought wasn't really taking. And then three weeks later, he'll spit that line back out to you verbatim. My youngest, he's stubborn. He's a brute. He's very physical. Everything about him is it reeks of football player, which also mirrors me and he had a big brother right yes I was just like i did i had see, a 15 month old brother that's He's what a, i was gonna ask hudson you. is 23 months older i mean there's so, that nature nurture thing i never thought about that until i had kids and then i transferred the thought to adults of like that experience you have when you're a little kid totally shapes you as an adult i do that now with people i find myself asking like Older brothers, older sisters, For younger sure. brothers, no brothers and sisters. Yeah, where do you fit into the equation? Right. I think it's a huge part of who people become. So you're a little brother that made you tough that turns you into a football player. That's right. Right? It, I... 100% think so. Yeah, I had to stand up for myself. I had to voice my opinions in my house and... And to make a name in my own house. Yeah, that's... So that, that was part of it. And I think that's what he does. And so I recognize all of his behaviors because I did the exact same things. It's wild to watch it because I know exactly what he's doing. And I hear myself at times sounding like my own dad because my dad is identical to me. So we all three have this little lineage that's going down. It's just, it's wild to think of. So the scouts should get on Teddy now. He's going to what you're saying. Yeah. And he's got pretty good athletic prowess. Naturally. He's got a really nice swing. He throws a ball. Well, he loves to tackle. You put a ball in front of him and he can do it. (laughs) There you go. Well, so that leads to the next one. I also saw you tweet recently that uh, for people who quote, have a choice football might now be third or, or the fourth sport that they choose. How do you, how do you feel about that? Do you want your boys to play if they want to play? If they want to play, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. If they're into it, if it's their thing, for sure. What I'm saying when I say there's a hierarchy of sports choice and choice is if you can be an NBA basketball player, that's the top of the totem pole. I think length, size, speed, athleticism, the way those guys are so graceful at six foot seven, seven foot tall, remarkable. Guaranteed contracts, marketability, no helmets covering their face. Yes. Fewer guys on the roster. They're making a boatload of money. They're rock stars. The NBA is the pinnacle of athleticism. Then I think it goes down to baseball just with the amount of money they can make, the length of time that they can play. And really, it's kind of a sport that we've seen with our own Stephen Woods. You can play forever. You yeah. can play. It's it's a sport that you can play into your forties. Not many positions in football other than quarterback and kicker are playing into their forties. So those are kind of lifelong sports. Guys are playing recreational basketball at the YMCA because it's fun and it doesn't hurt that bad. You're not playing recreational football at 45 years old. Another sport, and we don't think of it here in the States as much as they do in my wife's homeland, Canada, is hockey. 
those guys are playing 20 years in the so, NHL and they're so. making a good clip of money now. So I think when you look at the hierarchy, football may be number four. Well, and if and you would throw soccer into the equation, if you could talk international now, sure. that, that may even surpass basketball. Yeah. And that's, that's certainly the trend. Although, you know, we've talked so much about this right now, like the, the health of football, what its trajectory is on. I know you passionately think uh, a, a recent topic that came up about tackle football at the youth level. I know you passionately think that uh, youth football needs to remain at least accessible. Tackle football, sure. choice of the parents. Why? Why such a passion for you? The only thing I worry about, and I kind of echo Rocky Long in this, is that if kids aren't allowed to play until 14, 15 years old, they're going to have found their other passion outside of football and they're not going to go, oh, okay, all of a sudden I'm going to switch over. We've seen so much of a specialization in sports at an early age now. It's almost been demanded of kids where when you and I grew up, we played everything. Right. I wrestled, I played basketball, I did hockey, I did football, I played baseball, everything I could get my hands on, I was into. Well, now at a really early age, kids are honing in on their skill set and what they think they're best suited to, and their parents are driving that, and the coaches are kind of driving that institutionally. It's set up that way. Kids will have found another sport by then that mm -hmm. they're already long way down that road that I don't think they'll necessarily make the switch over just because it's legal then right in certain states it would have to be legal to go play football at that point i don't think kids are going to go that looks like a great idea so for me when i look at those laws and the legislation come down i only look at protecting my sport for the future i don't want it to go away because enrollments dropped off the charts i see i kind of fight against it though the whole like uh club sports get a higher you know hire a coach specialized based on what you see your kid doing. Yeah. It's been very important for me. Uh, and my oldest is 11 to just be like, go have fun, do it all, go have fun. And, and, and you know, if, if something pops at some level, when Amen. you're 11, 12, 13, we'll worry about that. Then you get it. You get it. A lot of people don't get it yeah. because here's the way I kind of look at it. I made it to the NFL. I played 11 years. I made a good chunk of money, but yet I still feel the need to work and pursue a passion. Right. So a lot of parents are going, well, we're going to get our kids to the big leagues or we're going to get our kids to the NBA and then they're done. They're set. And yeah, you are set for life and you got a chance to change classes, which is very hard to do to go from middle-class to upper-class or lower-class to upper-class. It's really hard to do. But for me, who's done it, I think it's it's just a passion. If you're passionate about it, it's fun. If you're not passionate about it, if it's work, then why do it? Why continue down that path? So I look at something and it's like, okay, you get done playing football. Great. Made the money. Put it away in a bank. Now get back to work. Where I think a lot of people who haven't been fortunate enough to be in the position that our family's in, you go, you work, you make the NBA and life's done. Well, it doesn't end there. You're right. 32 <laughs> years old. What you are you going to do with your fast. time? Yeah, exactly. Well, and the reason we're having all this conversation, or at least, you know, the lawmakers, I mean, everyone is, is now worried about head trauma. So personal question, what, what was your experience with head trauma and how does it affect you and your household today? I had six recorded concussions recorded. in the NFL recorded yeah. one. I was out in 2008 in Kansas city, Rocky Boyman, Notre Dame linebacker knocked me out on a screen. I went to go cut him and he 
hit my head right in the temple with his hip. Ended up having a really good gain on it, so it was totally worth it. I was out. I was out. I love that you think it's okay to have a concussion as long as you got a first down. It was a great screen I mean, to Jacob Hester. We almost scored a touchdown. We should have scored a touchdown on that one. I was out on the field, not kidding. Two TV timeouts, 12 minutes out on the field, snot bubbles and all that. And ended up waking up in the x-ray room underneath the stadium in Kansas city. And I thought I broke my neck. They were like, roll to your left. And I thought, well, why am I getting an x-ray? If I got a concussion, I said, is my neck. Okay. Yeah, we think it's okay. We got to check though. and take some pictures of your brain. So I've had my share of concussions also playing the center position. Every play is a sub concussive hit. They're jabs. Your neck's snapping back. It's a jab you're taking. And I counted over my career practice games, all of it, about 30,000 head hits. Overall, I don't think I feel a whole lot different currently. I can't speak for when I'm 50, 60 years old. What are the repercussions going to be then? I don't think talking to my friends who have two young kids or more at 36, 37 years old, I don't think I'm much different than them. Do I forget my keys occasionally? Sure. Do I forget what Jamie asked me to do 10 minutes prior? Yeah. Yeah, but so, so do I. I never played it down in my life. Exactly. I, I can't remember a damn thing. You have a little bit of dad brain going yeah, on. Sure. You're trying to juggle a there's lot too of much stuff. There's a yeah. lot going on. Yeah, I got you. Okay, get right to it. Something else pops up. Sorry, I forgot to unload the dishwasher. Right. My bad. Right. Okay. This, just- is, this is what I fight with as far as like texting in the car, uh, you know, stoplights or whatever here or there, because... If I don't, when that thought comes Amen. in, I'm glad you said that. I'll wake up the next day and go, "Oh my gosh, I completely forgot to get a sitter for tonight." That's and, right, uh, and now we're host. That's right. I do the exact same yeah. thing. It's like I better get this out before I lose the thought. And I'm glad you said that because <laughs> that would be if I were to think of anything from the concussions or from playing football. That would be it. It's I have to get this thought out, otherwise it goes away. So what I've learned to do, Mark, is I carry a notebook around with me everywhere. You're and I call it, it right now. my notebook is my brain. Okay. And I write everything down. And this was the way it was during my playing career too. So it's no different. I had notebooks that I filled up during the season, writing down information over and over and over again. This was a Marty Schottenheimer thing. Write it down, man. Write it down. Right. So he, <laughs> you had to write everything down. And so I was very systematic in my approach to game planning and learning plays and studying and I copied boxes of plays. That's how I learn is once I write it, it burns into my brain. So I write it down and I don't forget it. And so this becomes, and that was during football and it's post football. I put it down for a little bit of time because I thought it was tedious and I didn't need it. And then I realized like you, if I don't write it down, it's gone. It's totally gone. I need to get a notebook. That's what I just learned right there. Um, All right. You were known uh, during your career for leadership. How have you sort of uh, replaced that in in this portion of your life and career? So that's hard. That's a right. hard thing to fill because right. you're not now leading men in a locker room. You're not stepping into a huddle and commanding eyeballs to look at the real leader, Philip Rivers. You're not every time we would come into a huddle, I would hold court until Philip came back in with the play, and every single play I'll go, give him your eyes. Like direct your attention to the man. Now it's his turn. We're done horsing around. Let's go ball time, break the huddle, get up there, commanding men, delivering messages on a daily, weekly basis. That was one of the most fulfilling aspects of 
being a football player was kind of being Philip Rivers field general, just being his guy or in the Marine Corps, be like his Sergeant major. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of guy. I wanted to be the go-to. I didn't need to be him, but I wanted to be his guy. Right. And so filling that leadership void for me, I guess kind of what I'm trying to do with the health aspect is lead in that manner is show people how things are done. I think I was more of a leader by example. Anyway, show up early, leave late, very diligent about my work. This is how we're going to come in and out of the huddle. And I think the power of social media, the power of Instagram for me has allowed me to show people how I approach my day. And I think that was more or less what I did in the locker room was here's how we approach our day. I'm not going to browbeat you. I'm not going to tell you what you're doing's wrong, but I think what I'm doing is right. And I'm very strongly convicted in it. And if you want to follow my example, you're more than welcome to join the party. And I would love to have you. Do you consider like you mentioned, Philip, uh, do you consider him family? Yeah, that's family. Uh, yeah. It's, it's wild after protecting a guy for so long it burns into your DNA that that is your job is to protect him and to stand up for him. So, and it's weird talking about it. I get cold chills thinking about him. I would do anything for that guy. I would do anything for him. I mean, he is, it just, it's a, it's hard to explain to non-football guys that you haven't been in a battle with like every, there's guys that I played next to Chris Dillman, Jeremy Clary, guys that I would do anything for. I would give up anything at the drop of a hat to go protect them. And I've done it before on the field, Denver Broncos, Clary's getting his neck twisted around by Kevin Vickerson. And I was like, I don't care if I get fined $30,000, $100,000. He's vulnerable. He's under the pile and the guy is cranking his neck. He's going to break his neck. And so just go clean up Kevin Vickerson on the top, full out brawl breaks out after that. And I didn't care what the repercussions were because it's burnt into you that you're there for one another. And it's even more so for rivers to do anything for that guy. How much is his presence still with that team? A part of the decision you made to stick around the team. It's yeah, a big part of it. It's a big part of it. I mean, part of it for me is I get to watch him play. I get to watch him compete. And I also feel like I just get to get to oversee and make sure everything's cool with him. It's like, okay, are you good? Check in on you. Are you emotionally good? Are you physically good? And I still get to be just enough a part of it. Now, the relationship's different than it was before because we don't get the daily interactions. But just to be there. There was an incident that happened. It was the Denver Broncos game in 2015. I was a field reporter. That was my first year retired. I was the field reporter and he was getting roughed up. I think it was the Denver Broncos. He was getting roughed up by the Broncos defensive front and he started getting into it with one of the guys and he was jaw jacking him on the way back to his huddle. And I think it was Malik Jackson and he kept going after him, kept going after him. Von Miller and him got in a little tussle in that game. Well, the offensive line didn't do anything. Nobody stood up for Phillip Rivers. Nobody. I found myself three yards on the field with a headset and a microphone on yelling at the offensive lineman to do something to stand up for their guy. And they just kind of acted like it didn't happen. I'm almost in tears on the sideline. Like 
I can't do anything. I couldn't do anything if I wanted to, because I weighed 225 <laughs> pounds. It's like I go out there, I'm going to get mangled up, but by God, I would go out there and get mangled up. And you fools need to start protecting this man. It's like, if he's in a fight with Vaughn Miller, one of the most ferocious cats in the league, somebody better be protecting this man. They acted like they didn't see it. And it just, it offended me like none other. I mean, you, you use the words, uh, you know, almost like checking in on him. Is he emotionally? Okay. Um, both of you can barely kind of speak about the other without getting emotional even now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. There's, it's just this weird bond. I mean, we grew up together. We came in in the same draft. And then when he took the reins as the quarterback from drew Brees, we really came together. And I think we, one, we changed the game a little bit. We evolved pass protection from where it was in the national football league as blitz protections change or as bits blitz packages changed our blitz protection really escalated through the roof. And that was working with Hal Hunter, but kind of being on the cusp of changing a little bit and helping evolve the game of football in one little aspect that and spending just countless hours with one another. There was times when I would go to his house for a Christmas party and we'd play a game and I forget what the game was called, but him and I ended up finishing each other's sentences and everybody looking at us like, this is very weird. <laughs> it's odd that you two can do that, but you get very familiar with somebody like that. And you, your brains start working on the same wavelength where I would notice something on a blitz package. I would bring it to him and he'd go, yeah, I saw that. I was going to come bring that to you. And we would see the same thing. So our communication just became so dialed in and fighting for one another, caring intimately for one another. It's, it is hard to not get emotional. He's family. Continuing with Nick Hardwick on ballers with babies. Um, all right, let, let's go back to the weight loss. What, what was the motivator there? And, and I mean, was that just like, this is, this is for me, this is something I want to do. How much does the family come into to mind as you're starting to have a family? What was the motivator? Yeah, part of it. And I've talked about it before. It's turning your wants into needs. Yeah. I wanted a six pack, but nobody gets anything done by wanting something. Of course I want the best car on the market. Right. I don't need the best car, so I'm not going to go get the best car. I wanted to lose weight. And for me, I turned it into a need One, I needed to get my health under control. 295 pounds, two young kids. Everywhere I went, I was out of breath and sweating and my joints were killing me. And uh, Jamie used to call it, you had like an energy piggy bank while you were playing football because you're carrying 300 pounds around. You only have so much energy you can waste on extra things besides football. And so I would come home from football and I would lay on the couch and I would rest the rest of the night and put my energy in my energy piggy bank. And so... I realized I need much more energy to be able to provide to this family if I'm going to be around a long time. And I want to set a good positive example for the kids of this is how we live. This is what Hardwicks do. It's like, it's a big thing in our house. This is how hard, this is the Hardwick way kind of, this is what Hardwicks do. Are you a Hardwick? Right. We, we really <laughs> drive in the messaging yeah. of you are on our team. We need you to perform better. You're letting the team down or you are really helping this team win. So part of it was example, but a lot of it is just turning those wants into needs and realizing for my own sake and for my own desires, 
always wanting to be outdoors and go hiking. She, Jamie always talked about wanting to go hiking while we we're playing. I'm like, babe, I don't have energy to go to Torrey Pines. I don't have energy to hike Cow's Mountain. I know you've got all these delusions of grandeur in your mind about who you married and what I could become, but babe, I'm 295 pounds. I'm not going for an eight mile run with you. Sorry. So I wanted to be that man that she really wanted yeah. and she liked my personality, but I appreciate her for pushing me in towards that. Not just accepting me for what I am accepting me, but not allowing me to just remain that way to know that it's better for me. She's a health and physiology major at Purdue she understands the inner workings of the body and understands that that was abnormal. 295 on my frame and all the eating that it took to maintain that, not good for you. So turning those wants into needs was a huge part of it. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by telling your sons, uh, you know, the Hardwick way, are you a Hardwick? You, you'll understand what I mean by that. This is a very kind of a Midwest uh, attitude, which is, you know, you grew up in Indiana. Yeah. And, and so is it difficult to do that with two boys that are growing up as Southern Californians, you know us, we're soft, we're feathers blowing around in the wind. And so you're trying to do this with these two kids, like, are you a Hardwick? And then they go outside and they're in San Diego, California, and everybody's got flip-flops on. They don't even know how good they've got it right. here. That's, like, how different is it for them than it was so for you? So that hit me when I was back in Indiana probably in 2013, 2014, and I'm pumping gas in the middle of winter after the football season's over <laughs> and I'm standing outside and it's negatives there snowstorm. And I'm standing out there and I was like, God dog, is it cold out here? And then I realized as I'm looking in the car, I'm like, you know, my boys are never going to have to grow up doing this. And I thought there's an inherent toughness that comes from just dealing with crap dealing with <laughs> weather and dealing yeah. with what an unnecessary burden to have to lace up boots and put on a winter jacket and a stocking hat and gloves everywhere you go. And there's some hassles that they don't have to go through. I don't think it's better to have to go through that. I don't even necessarily think you're tougher. If you grow up there, I just think there, we have to be aware that they don't have that portion in their life, but it's just different their challenges are going to be different. Now, do I think they'll ever go back and live in the Midwest or live in the Northeast or do any of that? It's kind of hard to leave here, isn't it? I, I tried once. Very it didn't hard. work. Yeah. I was like, nah, yeah. I can't go from paradise to good. not paradise. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I take a step well, down in my life? Okay. So the, the, the tough skin has probably served you in a number of ways. Obviously as a football player, we talked a lot about Philip. Uh, you are maybe uh, two of the only guys who are still living in San Diego yet, uh, still involved with the Los Angeles Chargers, and you're firing up and down the coast, uh, you know, sometimes with each other. And uh, I'm wondering uh, how that experience and a city that, you know, there's a certain portion of the population that has been hard on you for making that decision. And so how is that whole experience, the travel uh, the, the, the emotions of this city, how has that affected you and, and the family? God, what a predicament at first, what a predicament one where I was so mad at the team and I was outspoken about it. And I was like, let's do this thing, San Diego. And then I realized I was in a real pickle when I fell back in love with the team and at the Super Bowl, being with football people and realizing that these are my peeps that I just like 
the Super Bowl was my jam, just being with old friends and running into guys that I had played with again. I was like, football's my thing. And then watching the draft, and I didn't care about any pick until the Chargers had their pick at seven last year with Mike Williams. And I was like, oh no, I'm in a spot now. I am in a tough position now because I still love my football team. And I was like, and I realized that while being in San Diego, we're still going to cover the team that's in Los Angeles. It doesn't matter if you're going to cover them from a negative angle or a positive angle, you're still going to cover the team. And I didn't want to be covering them from the outside. I'd rather be on the inside. I've always wanted to be, let me on the inside guy. So what a predicament at first massive backlash. My God, I still get it. I mean, there's most days of the week I wake up. If there's charger news out there and I comment on charger news, somebody's piling on top of me. It's, it's been a really good eye-opening moment for me. It, it really has. It's just let me know that you've got to pursue your own passions regardless of what other people think because people may comment and you've got fans that are turned mortal enemies of you because I went up the road 100 miles or whatever. And it's, it's also funny to me, just side note, that people are so mad at me for doing extra work. It's like it, you do realize it's extra work. It's a lot, it's a lot more burdensome on me. Yes. And I do still live here and I still love this place. Unfortunately, we don't have a football team. And so I just have to do more to go be a part of my football team. Does it mean I want to live in LA? No, No. it doesn't mean that I love San Diego. I love our friends and our network that we built up here. I just have to work harder to be a part of my football team. I wonder if this isn't two worlds colliding for you because, uh, you know, I mean, take the way I look at sports. You know me. I, I, I love sports as much as anyone, but I, I, I don't even really understand being such a fan of something that you would take somebody else's work decision personally or even a game, guys that get in fights at the game because right. you like the Redskins and I like the Giants. That and now we're you. Now we're punching each other and people are threatening <laughs> yeah. them just like, I, I'm here for the fun. Yeah. But I, I know, again, you're a football guy. You're a Midwestern guy. You get that. But now you're sort of getting the negative side of it at times. Sure. So that's those two things are kind of fighting with one another. Yeah, and they? I've appreciated your objective approach to sports. Like, Calm down. It's sports. You got to have a healthy perspective on it. It's like, let's look at the fun side of things. I get it from San Diego's perspective. I get it for the people who were born here, who were raised here, who felt, and it was the fabric of the city, the chargers. It was the glue that held the city together. And to feel like the Spanos family was the stewards of, or the fiduciaries of the city's team. I think with sports now, we've come to realize college basketball scandal going on. Mm -hmm. College football coaches making $10 million a year. NFL franchises relocating. Major League Baseball teams are doing the tanking thing. Mark Cuban's doing the tanking thing. I think we've realized sports has lost its sanctity. It's lost some purity in a lot of people's eyes. It still hurts here. I, I know there's still a lot of hurt here. Sure. And there's nothing I can do about it. And if people want to take their anger out on me, if the and and it's anger, it's hurt. When I see it, 
And when people come at me, you know, most of the time I just feel bad for them. I really, I do. I feel, I'm, I want to apologize. I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I'm sorry you still feel that way. I, I don't know what to tell you. I can't help you at this point because I've chosen to follow my team. And I've also chosen to live in this city, which I think is a tremendous place to live. Well, I think one the, the biggest thing of this entire conversation uh, that you've had that I wonder if many people know, because people will say things like, you know, whether it's a sellout or the, the Spanos family, whatever, it, it has nothing to do uh, with, and I know this, money. What you've even stated, this has to do with mental health. I don't, let me, need, let me, I let don't me, need money. You don't need the money. Here, here's the quote. I don't necessarily want to work. I need to work. If not, I'm unbearable. I'm not fun to be around. I have a lot of energy. I'm confused if I'm not on task. So I get that aspect of it right now. Here's my question, though. What the hell is Jamie going to do with you when you get old? <laughs> what the hell is she going to do with you? I know. See, that's it all comes full circle when I look at Teddy, my youngest. Teddy is the best, and he's a great boy when he's on task, when he has something to do. When you go, Teddy, go do this. Boom. On it, Dad. On it. He's like, see ball, get ball, kid. He's the dog playing fetch. That dog's good when that dog goes to the park every morning and he gets his beans out. So I don't know what she's going to do, but... I would like, ima- will it, I will would it imagine, chill out when you get older? No, I like, would imagine just- it. I would imagine my energy will wane a touch. But okay. as I watch my dad, and as he's aging, I realize we have this compulsive aspect about our behavior. It's just kind of who we are. It's how he was raised. It's how I've been raised, and I know the boys see it too. That when you go get something, you're in. You're all into it. And there's no tiptoeing around. It's like, I'm into nutrition. No, I'm really into nutrition. I, I track everything. I log everything. It's like, <laughs> right when you're yeah. in, you're in. When you're into football, I'm into football. You, don't, you don't half-ass anything. There's not a half, I, I know this about There's you. not a half-speed. Yeah. Right. You know what? One more question on nutrition. Because this is also something I've always wondered with two little boys. I have two little boys and a girl. Um, I want to know this. You're always sending out on social media pictures of food. Uh, you've got uh, something about like a uh, uh, there are three eating phases in a day, and you're you're tracking all of this stuff. You've got a blender, and there's green stuff all over the house. All the time, yeah. Okay, so uh, I know that when you have little kids at the house, so what they want three or four times a day is cookies and uh, uh, chips that have orange dust all over them. <laughs> yeah, and and in and out. So how the he- how do you do this? When there's little kids at the house, they're not eating uh, kale, are they? Yeah, they, they my, are. My boys, they do. They eat salad. They love broccoli. They eat a lot of fruit. You said one of them's four? Four. Teddy's, and he's eating salad? Teddy's wild. Now, this is just because this is the world he grew up in. Okay. So I retired in 2014. Well, he was one years he old. He was just born, yeah. He was one years old in 2014. So he grew up in this health conscious household that we've started, <laughs> that we've got going on. And so oh I'm not kidding you. Teddy will wake up and ask for an avocado for breakfast. Like, do you want it with anything? And he's like, no, I just want you to cut me up an avocado. Oh, he's so going to put, play it, the put it in a bowl. <laughs> right? Which is just, you think about that. I didn't even know what an avocado was growing up. Correct. I didn't know what it was until I got to California. Why would you? Exactly. Yeah. People in Indiana aren't eating avocados on a regular basis, but I guess we allow the kids to make decisions within pretty tight parameters. 
So we'll let them have, and a lot of parents have mac and cheese, right? You do, we do mac and cheese. Absolutely. Because it's one of the staples of being a kid. And we, we also recognize that they're kids and we weren't psychotic as kids because you don't have to be. As you get older, as we watch Tom Brady become psychotic about his nutrition, it's because he has to be. Otherwise, his career is going to be shortened, and he's trying to lengthen that off. We're trying to lengthen our lives off. We're trying to be as healthy and feel good as we possibly can so we can provide the proper amount of energy and wake up every day in a really good mood and look good. Yeah, vanity plays a part in it. And so it's teaching kids. My kids know what carbs do. They know what fat does. They know what protein does. They're six and four. Hudson, we were giving him some cereal like Goline, Kashi Goline, <laughs> but it was burning up too fast in his system in the morning. So yep. he was, he was drinking. He was like eating. It was either Goline or there's these flakes that heritage flakes. I think okay. it's like yeah. nature's path yep. puts yep. them out. He was eating the flakes before school and he would get to school and he go, or he'd come home from school and he'd go, mom, I don't want any more cereal before school because I run low on energy because the sugar doesn't work well. Six-year-old can verbalize Six-year-old knows that. And Get out of here. Yeah, so it's a little bit, it's Get just it's just teaching. We yeah. talk about it all the time yes. at the house. So it's just kind of the world they're going to grow up in, which is funny to me to try to visualize what they're going to be like and what they'll know just innately by the time they're 25 years old. All right, let's wrap up with uh, Stick the Sports with Nick Hardwick on Ballers with Babies. Okay, uh, so a few sports questions for you. Uh, how many years does Philip have left? He's got at least three. Yeah? He's got at least three. Yeah, he's got two under contract, so we'll see what ends up coming up with that. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think or what do you know he wants to do? Does he have a number in mind? No, I don't think so. I think it kind of depends on what his body does and right. what his body tells him. But I think he's got three... And he took so many less hits last year. They've kind of reconfigured the offense. So the Chargers aren't running near as much seven-step drop, which is really getting him into trouble. That was kind of North Turner, early Ken Wisenhunt, seven-step drop. Now they've got a lot of five-step drop, getting the ball out fast, protecting him in that way. And he's making better decisions getting rid of the ball when he needs to and just not taking unnecessary hits. This is true uh, for the Rams and the Chargers, I feel like, but more so for the Chargers. And here we are talking about the NFL at a time where uh, for the first time ever, more people are watching or would choose to watch on TV than they would to go to a game. And meantime, you've got an owner in Los Angeles that's building a state-of-the-art 70,000. Yeah, and all that. it's going to be a spectacle. It is, but how, how are they going to fill it? How? I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah. I mean... The way I've kind of viewed the Chargers right now, they are at ground zero with their fan base in Los Angeles. They've got to earn a lot of trust there. And how do you do that? And you earn fans by time spent, just simply time spent in a community, build your fan base, and winning championships. Make it a run. Think about the Seattle Seahawks and what they were able to do with the Legion of Boom. Yeah. They were nothing until Pete Carroll came and they went on a good run and they changed colors and they threw the neon in and they captivated all the five to 10 year olds across the country going, that looks like a really fun, positive place or spinning off great football, really good energy. And their fan base just sucked all of it up that they could chargers have to make a good run and they got to make one. I think pretty quickly 
with Phillip Rivers. They got this little window here with Phillip Rivers and a young defensive core with guys on team friendly contracts. That's not going to be the way that's not going to be the case for another three years. So they got Phillip Rivers on a team friendly contract, by the way, making 22 mil defense on a team friendly contract overall, and they've got to make a run and then you can capture some fans there and start building from there. I think fan bases start at five to 10 years old. I think you start with kids. And if I'm them, what I'm doing is I'm going out right now this year in every single game, I'm putting 500 to a thousand elementary school kids in the stands and I'm giving them a Bosa t-shirt. Yeah. I think that's a smart idea. All right. Describe uh, an offensive line room for me. All right. You guys are the, you're, you're the biggest. It's the best. You you eat everything. <laughs> yeah. You guys seem like you tend to be not all of you, but you tend to be some of the smarter uh, people uh, on a football team. Uh, you you know most talkative. We've got two of you here just at our radio station, <laughs> right? You, you also we have opinions. You also seem to be um, the most open to kind of being fun, right? Like Rich's recent story about chugging beers with Tom Brady all started with what the offensive line, right? So so why is that? What 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 is this thread that runs through you you offensive linemen? Great question. There's a uniqueness about an offensive line room in that. It's not necessarily homogeneous, right? You got country Midwestern white boys. You got some down South East coast, black dudes, everything melds. And the reason that it does so well is because you're there to protect one another and you've got to be in sync and in phase. Otherwise nothing is going to happen and you're all going to look like fools. So you come to this real sense of accepting everybody in the room for who they are while also molding each other into what is required for the position. So I've, we've had guys come into the room who are a little soft over the years and you find a way as a group to either turn them into what they need to be to support and make the room better or they find their way out of the National Football League. And so it's a tough room. And because of that, I think it has to be fun. It's got to be a really good time. It's a brutal position. I mean, you want to talk about one of the most brutal positions to play in sports. I think running back, fullback, offensive lineman. Although running back gets, they get love. They get love. They get attention. They get love, but they get beat. They get beat. Think about it. Everyone's coming for that dude. Right. And they're done by the time they're 30. Yeah, running at full speed. But they're marketable. But also, on a day-to-day basis, the running back position isn't violent. The offensive line position is violent on a daily basis. And you're taking on athletes who are far superior to you. I never played against a guy that I was a better athlete than. I was never stronger than anybody, never faster than anybody, and never certainly bigger than anybody that I played against. So there's this toughness that comes with the offensive line. And there's this kind of we're in this grind. We're in this hall together. It's monotonous as hell. All the drills are just so repetitive every single day. And you are the only ones that are banging on a daily basis and the defensive line's coming after you, trying to make you look bad. At least that's the way we view it. Yep. And so there has to be a, a sense of lightheartedness while also serious and thoughtful. And I think partly because of the lack of athleticism or the inferior athleticism in general for an offensive line going against a defensive line or linebackers, 
you've got to be smarter. You've got to know how to put yourself in a good position to use who we always view as inferior intelligence guys on the opposing (laughs) side of the line of scrimmage, how to use their lack of intelligence of what the play that you're about to run is and what your technique that you're getting ready to use on him is and use it against him. So that's kind of where the intelligence is required. It's a, it's a requirement to get into it. All right. State of the NFL uh, right now. Oh, it's too greedy. Ratings are going down. Some people worried, some not players union says suddenly, you know, we got to look at this. Uh, What's, what's your take? I don't think there's anything to worry about. I really don't. I think ratings, look at the Olympics. Ratings for the Olympics were down 14%. I think viewership in general is down, and I think it's because we don't really know how to capture all the people that are really watching sports or watching television programs. We don't know what we're looking at now. It's like the Nielsen ratings for radio. They got some dude walking around in his car with a hip monitor on that picks up the wavelengths that's coming in. It's like... That's not real talk. That's not how people listen to radio. People stream and it doesn't capture all of it. And I think the same can be said for football. I mean, look what drives most sports talk radio anywhere. I've been on in Winnipeg. I've been on in Toronto. People want to talk football. It's the most gravitating sport. It's magnetic. People love it. There's a wild sense of urgency that comes with football. I don't think it's going anywhere. Had its issues at the beginning of the year, became very polarizing with the national anthem protest. I think it worked its way. It worked itself out nicely as far as how, how it played out, how the team, the Philadelphia Eagles who were at the forefront of that conversation became the ones that ended up loving each other more and ended up winning the Super Bowl. I think in part because of the love, because of what they were going through at the beginning of the year, I think it all worked out nicely. Football's got nothing to worry about. And by the way, as I talk about limiting tackle football in California, you've got to think there's a pretty healthy crop of kids that are going to come up from impoverished areas and from the Midwest. Like we talked about that, are going to continue to play football because that's the way of life. That's just what people do there. They have to, to go to college to potentially get out of the ghetto, or that's just what Midwest corn fed boys do. That's what life is like. Go hit him. Go prove your toughness out there, Nick. I want to see you with bruises on you. Come back here with a bloody nose and then we'll pat you on the back and applaud you. That's kind of the way of life there. So it may get cut off in certain states. There's still going to be a decent percentage of the population who's playing it. Sports going to be fine. Isn't it fun though? Isn't football? It's it's so fun. That's what we do. It's so fun. Thank you so much, man. Mark, thank you. I appreciate Great it. Great time. Absolutely. Keep up all the good work. Thank you. 